officially beautiful. Back on. So oh, yeah. No, okay, Go ahead. Sorry. Before we start, the cockroach was right here, like at the beginning. <laughs> and it was like crawling right here. And I was like, what do I do? Huh? She picked it's up her feet. Pretty close to your feet, Chris. She picked up her feet. <laughs> pretty close to your feet. But I was like, this is just happening. And then it saw it crawl around. And then I saw it come out from under Mark's chair. And I was just like. I didn't see it until it was at the door. And I, I saw it over there. I remained yeah. so calm. I didn't know? see it until it was right by Kelly's head. It had already done all that. <laughs> At that point, I was yeah. like, well, Mark, and thank he's you still for here. Rescuing so. it. Yeah, it's still right there, but it's not going to move from that spot. Well, no. <laughs> Until not someone does. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I have. I keep looking at it, just wondering if it's going to wiggle a little right. or something, oh, and it, it doesn't. But that's what that's what it felt like to Mark. Shoot the does, your, does your foot <laughs> need? Okay. A, I just wiped it on the rug. He, he definitely wiped it on your rug. <laughs> Definitely did that. <laughs> you know, that, that's okay considering you, you saved this from me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I figure, you know, it's part of the price you pay for, you know, extermination. It's <laughs> a little bit of extermination juice on exactly. the road. Exactly. Yeah. All right. All right. We ready? Welcome to How I See It with me, Mark Pratt, and Justin Sternberg. This is a podcast that works to counter cultural polarization through thoughtful conversations. So, uh, Mrs. P, sorry, I didn't mean to do that clap right there for editing purposes. There you go. But, um, Mrs. P, in that process of intergenerational learning I think it's I, I think it's interesting as you bring that up and how our culture has shifted because I think even on the other end of that you know we have a whole generation of people who are uncomfortable with young people we separate you know the curmudgeon comes to mind you know and even in our even in our I would say times in our church settings it's like babies crying is a terrible thing you know uncomfortable well yeah yeah some would see it as terrible sure just because it's like what's it's interruptive that? yes mm -hmm. what the, what's that kid doing in here someone's not going to get the word of god in their heart because <laughs> yes <laughs> which mm. and i'm and i hear again this is how That's i how see, you it. see it exactly as it, i as i yeah. move my hands through the air as i'm juggling <laughs> ball. but you know it's that this is how i see it and i think you know we have missed out i think it's a great point you bring up at times yeah, well, you bring up great points all the times, but in that uh, era of, you know, okay, kids go here, adults go here, junior high goes here, and I think there is a part we're missing out on. There was a teacher, yeah. a specific teacher at Southport Elementary when I was there, who intentionally sought mm. out grandfather-type mm. men to come into her classroom once a week and would invest in those boys in that classroom. I mean, and mm. they were... Maybe veterans. I mean, yeah. they had so much to offer, but that did so much more than just give her a helping hand. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it it brought a new um, experience to those boys. Yeah. It made that comfortability between the generations yeah. easier. Mm -hmm. There wasn't this fear of, from the younger boys to, okay, this man, I don't know who he is. I mean, yeah. it just developed a relationship. I loved that she did that. And she did it with one, one of the gentlemen's passed away, gentlemen passed away, and she, within a few months, found somebody else, replaced, he wasn't replaced, found somebody else to come in and serve that role, and I just love, and that was one of our neighbors, the guy yeah. across the street, he yeah, was actually one of her helpers, and 
it was good for him too. Yeah. Right? No doubt. Yeah. Gave him purpose and gave him this opportunity to invest in the next generation. So. Yeah. And I think it even adds to that that storytelling. I think we've lost mm. some of that storytelling mm. dynamic in our culture as, you know, that intergenerational dynamic yes. has fallen away, you know, and yeah, it's a it is a it is a loss. Mm-hmm. When, it is a loss. Yeah. And I think, too, like our kids teaching our kids like the art of like good conversation and like Mm. like when someone's sitting in front of you, Mm. especially someone who's older, like they've got a lot of cool things that they've done with Mm. their life, you know, so teaching our children to be like even if in their their youthfulness they might say like so were you alive when there was no telephones you know like things like that like you know like maybe they're talking to uncle justin when they say that like uncle justin you're pretty old tell us about when you were a child and people went around (laughs) (laughs) yeah like but i feel like that's like for them to realize like man if i can have conversations with people like i can learn so much too Mm. and definitely i mean i feel like they can always learn in any conversation but i feel like especially with people that are older than them to like learn from their experience and hear about what they did with their lives. And like, I feel like I missed out on that, like in the aspect of like my grandparents and things, like I never Mm. took advantage of hearing more Mm. about their lives and like what they did and like their, their time in the service and just Mm. like the, the way that life was when they grew up. Like, I wish I would have done that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't, you know, so I think teaching them that, is I think a pretty mm-hmm. cool thing too. That emotional to intelligence mm-hmm. is something that's not given enough credit or enough focus, and uh, mm-hmm. makes me think of, you know, when I when I have a conversation with a young, let's say middle schooler or, oh, so I work with middle schoolers. Uh, Bless you. So uh, <laughs> I am always impressed. I have a couple in my class who come to mind immediately. I'm always impressed. They'll come and you know we'll do a little chatter and. A couple of them will say, Miss Spratt, how was, how was your day? Mm. Like when they reach out to mm. me mm. and they ask questions, mm-hmm. instead of me always being the one to um, offer or probe or mm. question or whatever, I find that very um, interesting. And I wonder, hmm, how did the parent foster that, yes. that um, confidence? Maybe. Is it a confidence or is it just a, a care, a compassion for people? It curiosity. could be a lot of things. A curiosity. curiosity. But I always think, wow, that is such yes. a good quality. Mm-hmm. They're not it's intimidated cool. be, by me being older. Mm-hmm. You know, they're comfortable and they are caring. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's, that's so like maybe one of my yeah. gauges about kids or when I meet kids or when I, you mm-hmm. know, talk with kids. It's like, are they able to carrying on a conversation back and forth yeah or is it always one-sided it's funny you bring up emotional intelligence because once in one of the first episodes you seen another book no all right mark mark the killers on the cord i was okay thinking because you can pull that up there you go if you need a little more there you go thank you perfect um as one of the first episodes we, we recorded, I made a joke kind of thing about <laughs> homeschoolers and their lack uh, of emotional intelligence. Oh, we know. Oh, we, we know, know you made oh, that yes. joke. All the homeschool <laughs> listeners were angry at me. The funny thing about it was, and I think this would be maybe a good transition to talk about That's a our great upbringing. Transition. That's a great or, transition. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to hear from each of you like how you were schooled through high school, basically. 
Um, but for me, I was homeschooled and I lacked emotional intelligence. So mm. when I told that story, I was thinking of me entering sixth grade in a Christian school from being homeschooled and how rough it was. And like I was made fun of and I was the nerd and I didn't know mm. how to deal. I didn't have the emotional intelligence mm-hmm. that I then had to learn. So my uh, I, I went to, it's very confusing. I did homeschool for mm. kindergarten. And my mom said, I can't do this. And I don't blame her because I was, I was a handful at that age. And so for a year, I didn't do anything. So I did homeschool, kindergarten, then nothing. And then I went to a Christian school for first and second grade and third grade. And then they pulled us out. No, and, uh, and fourth grade. They pulled us out. We did homeschool for fifth grade. And then I went back to a Christian school from sixth grade all the way to third high school, right? So, wow. yeah. So I kind of had a a storied school career. Uh, Not really. I mean, it was mostly a Christian school and a little bit of homeschool splashed in there. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Mark? What was your story? Uh, My story is is not nearly so complicated. (laughs) Um, Long story short, I grew up, uh, well, my elementary school, I could walk there. Oh, cool. From, and if, if I missed the bus... You know, that was what I had to do back in that day was you had to walk. You know, there's 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 many stories that go along with that as far as whether I did or whether I didn't walk some days. But because um, <laughs> the fishing hole between well, your no, house you, and you could always school. count on a neighbor going by. Uh, so gosh. you could always hop in, you know, and then, yeah. you know, but uh, yeah, it was it was a different era. But I yeah. there were many times I did have to walk. Yes. And then I went into into town, as we called it, you know, for um, middle school, whatever, elementary school, that kind of thing. And then um, I graduated from that same public school, you know. And I think for me, um, education, the the education and learning wasn't something I did well. Early mm-hmm. on, and and I it's not a passion topic for Mark. Well, it is, it is, but <laughs> it's something not. I did. was not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it, you know, my my poor brother and mother, they were not sure that I was gonna make it through elementary school. Mm-hmm. You know, just because of my grades and so forth. Mm-hmm. At that point, it's still kind of one of those uh, family dynamics that I wrestle with at mm-hmm. times. But yet, I I have come to appreciate you know, education, but I also recognize how, as you, you mentioned being a handful, you know, and I respect, you know, you know, as you share, and I think of John early on, it's like educating boys and Mm -hmm. educating girls Mm. are, is quite often two separate things, you know, from a developmental standpoint. And so I really do appreciate, you know, the teachers who were able to, you know, decipher that difference for Mm -hmm. me. And I, and I can, and no offense to you ladies, I didn't think about, you know, I'm also thinking about, you know, growing up the, the men, the, the, as you mentioned, Jackson, you know, the, the male teachers that I had and how formative they were for me in creating a, you know, a rigid structure that I needed, you know, I needed a little fear of God in me at times, you know, I'm not saying it's all about that. But yeah, there is that part where, no, you can do this and you may need to buckle in a little more, mm-hmm. you know, whereas, you know, other 
other people I was a little more able to manipulate even yeah. if you will you know I can't do this you know and mm -hmm. I can remember being inspired or called out kind of you know as you were sharing you know pursuing that upper level I can remember the teachers who called that out of me mm -hmm. you know in that early age so yeah that's kind of and just <laughs> just as an aside uh I think again Mark homeschooled John for two years and I think mm -hmm. in middle school years sixth and seventh grade mm -hmm. I am so grateful <laughs> yeah. I'm so grateful yeah. Not only for those, don't don't start crying, anymore, but uh, <laughs> the relationship that was forged yeah. between Mark and John during those years prepared them for what was coming for the high school years. I mean, that, that relationship with father and son would not be what it is today without those years. And I'm, I'm not saying it's anything that we did. I feel like God put his hand mm. on our decisions and he knew what was coming and he knew what we needed and... Um, if I had been the homeschooler, if I had been the one educating, we would have missed out so much on the relationship that John and Mark have. Mm. So that's an aside. That's an aside. It's good. So make that part of your school. Yeah, dads, dads, <laughs> get involved, dads, yeah, absolutely. Good, truly. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So to summarize Mark's, basically it was, I would say, the traditional path, right? Yes, like very much one so. School, yep. Basically one, one, school one school system, school top system. to bottom. Yep, one county. Good or bad, whatever yeah. that system was, that's what you were in. One yeah. local school yeah. district. Very cool. small community, though. Everybody yes. knew everybody. Gotcha. Yeah. Which I think has value. Again, the inter yeah. intergenerational dynamic yeah. was very present in yeah. his yeah. education. I would mean, say it was present in mine as well, because our Christian school was, um, all the high school was sixth, uh, no, seventh grade, all the way up to uh, seniors, right? So we were all in the the same quote-unquote high school and we would interact in a lot of ways and do plays together sports together because you didn't have enough to have just a high school team usually we would have some yeah so a lot of that intergenerational I mean that's not really intergenerational but even yeah. that blend I felt like was healthy for my emotional intelligence but, no doubt but I, I feel like Mark's experience is truly intergenerational mm. when I first met him mm. and he could enter I mean a lot of his friends were two generations ahead mm. of him mm -hmm. and I was I yeah. was just wow this is interesting You're an old soul old soul <laughs> and I and I think about it too even in as as I had five in the elementary you know kindergarten through fourth grade um my parents had social interaction with three out and they definitely knew all five but there was an ongoing social interaction between my parents and three out of five of those teachers, hmm. you know, to where, whether it was church or whether hmm. it was work environment, you know, it's like that definitely had some inspiration, you know, because <laughs> you knew it wasn't, I could get away with it. You know what I'm saying? There was going to be a conversation, mm -hmm. you know, and it wasn't and like... And your parents knew, knew them ethically and morally, like they could mm -hmm. trust your education to those people. True. They knew them. They knew yeah. their values. So, yeah. hmm. which is very different from our education, public education today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, there's more stories that could go along. Oh, that, yeah. Okay. Yes. Let's get it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, Kelly. Your experience. Yes. Okay. So, for me, I went to a private school, the same private school as Justin, actually, right. from mm. kindergarten to, I believe it was fourth grade. Mom, if you're listening, maybe it was fifth. Um, I can't remember. I think it was fourth grade though. She'll but tell us. Anyways, we'll put it in my, the show maybe, notes. Maybe it was fifth. Yeah. 
Yes. Um, but, and then we decided to go and homeschool at that point. And the main reason we decided to do that was, um, my brother and I at the time were just not being super challenged in the school setting that we were in. And my mom just felt like she was like, Hey, if you guys want to do this, I think we should do this. And, um, they did kind of, I, I feel like they let us decide. Maybe they just made us think we were deciding. I don't know. It worked. Um, and so, so yeah, at that point I was, you know, middle school age. And so it was pretty self-driven my homeschooling career. Um, my mom was very involved and helpful, but most of the learning I did was pretty independent learning. And then we moved here to North Carolina. And when I was in ninth grade, I started doing just taking college classes at the community college. They allow homeschool students to do that. And it was free. I just had to pay for books. And so then when I graduated from high school, I graduated with a two-year degree, associates in business degree. Um, and so that was a great experience for me. I don't have any, I don't have any really big negatives. There was a season where it was hard that my mom was also my teacher and my mom. We had like a year that I was like, I really, and I, I couldn't put words to it. I think it was maybe my seventh grade year, but it was like, I really didn't want her to be my teacher and my mom. Like it was too, it was too much. It was too hard to have her telling me what to do on so many fronts in my life. Um, and so we definitely wrestled with that and, but came out the other end better, you know? And so I think it was worth the, the wrestling and really it was just me being a little bit of a punk. And so I eventually mm. got over it um, and realized that my mom was just looking out for me. So, so yeah, so that was my experience. I appreciate that even that, if I may, too. And I think as a, as a form of encouragement, recognizing that there will be seasons, too. Yes. You know, in this yeah. educational learning process, I think, you know, as you mentioned, the kids are early, but, you know, there's seasons that go along with that. And as parents, not giving up in that process, you know, because mm -hmm. our kids aren't going to be, well, they'll be full of energy most of their lives. But, you know, there's not going to always be that hyperactive type movement of the younger, you know, and it, it does settle into yeah. something, you know, in direction and, I just, just as an encouragement, yeah. you yeah. know, from yeah. that, yeah. you know, thinking of your personal experience. Yeah. There will be that punk stage, but <laughs> there's, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, there's yes. hope they grow out of yes. it, you know, and yeah. you know, yeah. each stage, I think it's helpful if you can just remember that, yes, mm -hmm. this is a season and being able to stay steadfast in that. Yes, that. for sure. Yeah. And as a homeschool parent, realizing too, that it is really hard that you are the parent and the mm. teacher. Because I even feel that sometimes, like, it's just there's a lot of direction happening, you know. And so to give yourself grace in that and also to give your child grace and realize, like, you're expecting a lot from them, you know, and mm -hmm. that's okay and that's good and healthy, but it also is a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah. What about you, Chris? So I am a product of public education, um, kindergarten through 12th grade. Mm -hmm. Um my early year, actually all the way up through 11th grade, so mm. first grade through 11th grade, I was in a small district in upstate New York and very, um, very not cutting edge necessarily, but they, uh, they did things well. Excellence. Mm. It was a school of excellence. It was mm. a, a district of excellence. And I can remember in second grade, um, my teacher uh, would challenge us and we learned sign language that year. Because, wow. you know, there were a group of us that, you know, 
felt like we needed a little more challenge. And so she said, instead of doing the spelling words normal, you're going to do them in sign language. Hmm. And so I felt that there was that creativity all the way up through that. That was a wonderful district to grow up in. Hmm. Um, it was small enough that I was given leadership opportunities. And um, so, yeah, a lot of great things happened. And then um, my junior year, my dad lost his job. Um, so we moved uh, to a, like a back back to where my grandparents were an hour and a half away to a much larger district and so I was at a, in my senior year I was thrown into this huge school mm. um, not a great experience I could tell stories about that as well but um, so I feel like if I had grown up in that that large district all of those other years I would have been a completely different person. Mm. I wouldn't have had the leadership opportunities. Everything mm. would have been kind of right by the book mm. or the state curriculum, which, you know, <laughs> is questionable mm. sometimes. Um, but again, with God's providence and sovereignty, mm. I am just grateful for that experience of the, where he placed me in my formative years, educationally speaking. Wonderful teachers. I didn't have the same experience with Mark in the sense that it was a larger district, so my parents didn't know my teachers personally, mm. um, but very positive. I think it's interesting, um, and one of the reasons I wanted to get your each person's background is just to see like how different our educational experiences can be, and yet still be in the same room having the same conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important for parents to understand which is one of the premises you started with both of you, which is it's about doing what's best for your family, right? And mm -hmm. so, and there's going to be, and then Mark, you mentioned seasons. It's not a one size fits all situation for every kid, for every family, for every season. And I think it's important to do the, the work to figure out what makes sense in whatever season you're in for whatever child you're dealing with. And also know that it's not about that school is not going to make or break your child. It also has a lot to do with you as a parent. It has a lot to mm -hmm. do with the cultural influences you put in front of them. It has a lot to do with books. It has a lot to do with mm -hmm. so much more. And also, not every high school is created equal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, not every school district, as you That's mentioned. Right. Not every private Christian school, whatever, is going to hold to the same principles or whatever. Not every homeschool is going to be run the same way. Some people have the passion for it, some don't, and their kids do languish because we thought it would be good. It turns out it wasn't, right? Mm -hmm. um, I just think that journey is so important to understand, too, um, in education. But, yeah, what do you guys think about that? When you said that, it made me think of the colors. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, so let's say public school is green, but within the green color family, there are how many shades of green? Right. And I think that's the same way with private education, with homeschooling. It's not a one, one size and one, one model. Mm -hmm. There's so many different factors. Hmm. Um, so my first teaching experience was in a private school. Well, my very first teaching experience hmm. actually was in a bilingual intercity school, hmm. which was fabulous. I loved every minute hmm. of it. Um, but again, these all these experiences make you think of education, like bilingual education versus, you know, only learn in English. And mm. so, and then uh, mm. my first job out of college, that was my student teaching experience, was actually a Christian school in Buffalo, in the area of Buffalo. It was super difficult. And the reason was, 
parents sent their kids, they paid the money for you to, te- to educate. Mm-hmm. And I felt like mm-hmm. uh, there was a whole lot of pressure in that private school, Christian school environment on the teacher mm-hmm. to be the bulk of the, the child's education. And um, it was just very difficult for me. Um, now, here I am, however many years later, teaching again in a Christian school. Mm-hmm. I can see it as a parent. I can see it as, um, you know, I have friends that send their children to this to the school I'm at now. And um, so there is, I think, an element of we're paying money for you to do our job or do a good job mm-hmm. or um, so live up to our expectations, maybe. Mm-hmm. But there's also the idea that um, maybe private school is in a, a sense move trying to remove their student from the culture of the public school experience. Mm. So at our school we have, it's a Christian school, but we have students who are not religious or Christian at all, mm. which is another really interesting dynamic, right? So they're in the, our mm. school because re, they, their parents did not want them in public education. So I feel like, again, if we're looking at colors, we've got this Christian school blue but there's such a spectrum of what's happening within that Hmm. Christian school environment which is a challenge as a teacher you know teaching Bible to churchy kids who've who've grown up in the church and then to a student who is there and has never even opened the Bible for himself so um, so anyway that that was my first experience teaching and then moved into public education. I've never done the charter school. Oh, mm. I do have my opinions about that. Um, <laughs> only because I've interviewed, done interviews with charter schools as a teacher coming into North Carolina. And it wasn't necessarily positive. Mm. Um, but I know a lot of parents who love their charter school. Mm-hmm. So um, again, a variety of shades mm-hmm. of color within that one term of charter school. Sure. I love what you're saying too about the the parents setting expectations on the school to produce. That was one of the questions I was going to have: is should we as parents be expecting these mm. institutions, assuming not homeschooling, right? You're sending them off to get educated one way or another, high school, or should we be expecting? What should we be ex- expecting of them? Should we expecting them to instill character, for instance? Mm. Should we be expecting them to produce some sort of result? Uh, I don't, you know. Like what are what are healthy expectations for education institutions versus like you've already called out like expecting them to do your job is not good but what does that mean mm-hmm. like what what is a healthy expectation for a school and when do you know okay they're not meeting that and it should, I should look at something different does that make sense yeah. what I'm saying because we do need to have some sort of expectations Absolutely. what are they right well what is the teacher's job. I think that's the, the, the question. What is a teacher's job? Now, if you ask that question today versus 20 years ago, it's a completely different answer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. from a public educator standpoint, the public educator today is expected to do way too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are, they are not the person who should be feeding the child or making sure the child has clothes or making mm-hmm. sure the child has whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think, unfortunately, in public education, the teacher is more than a teacher. And the expectation just keeps getting piled onto the public educator. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as 
You mean it's almost like the the teacher is more of a social worker now, looking for resources? Is that? I would say yes. Yeah. Um, to be the emotional um, mm. support for that child. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think. I think mm. in some cases, not in all cases, this mm. is, in some cases that teacher is the person of stability. Mm. Unfortunately, only for a year. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's situations that the teacher needs to be that stability and embraces it. But at the same time, it's emotionally draining to have a classroom mm. of 25 or 30 kids and trying to meet all of those needs. Now, we all know about Maslow's hierarchy. We, we all you know, do. We, <laughs> yes, so, we do. So, but so, remind so, us uh, who has maybe gotten Okay, rusty. Maslow's hierarchy. you got to have certain things met before you can get to education, right? So okay. if they're not fed, uh, if they're yeah. not emotionally safe yes all of these things need to be met before you can teach a child mm. so if a teacher's coming into a situation knows that those things aren't happening there's no use trying to teach them well you try like... your best and then the, the really bad part is at the end of the year you're going to test these kids and you your success as a teacher is based on that score well yeah. this kid didn't even come yeah. with food yeah. so how yes. am i supposed to teach this child if they're not well fed but you're gonna you're gonna make sure that my salary or right. my bonuses are going to be tied to my scores mm. you know there's a there's so many things with public education but um it's painful what is the expectation mm. <laughs> uh what is the expectation of a public educator i think is just to provide a safe environment for your child mm. now they're doing their best I, i'm i give the educator the benefit of the doubt they're doing their best mm. with the environment they have with 25 kids that have all different needs um, yeah, you're giving them an almost impossible situation to be successful with every twenty, each one yeah. of those twenty-five kids. Think yeah. about yeah. think about your own kids. I mean, how you as a parent are trying to meet their individual needs. Well, let me, let me challenge that. Not because I disagree; I completely agree. But how did they do in the one-room schoolhouses where they also had twenty-five kids, but they were yeah. their needs were even more varied than? Mm -hmm. I mean. Mm -hmm. I think Maslow's hierarchy is that, yeah. is that the thing we all know. Uh, probably <laughs> Sorry, played a part, but I'd love to know. I think uh, the pressures weren't there then. Mm -hmm. I think the the community was more involved then. I don't think the teacher was expected to be all things to every student. Mm -hmm. And I think there was an inner connectedness between the students. Yeah. Like, okay, if you're in seventh grade, you're gonna come over here and help this mm -hmm. first grader. And, Hmm. I think there was a more of a community feel rather than the teacher yeah. do it all, but I—that's I, just a—that's just a guess on my part. That's great. That, no, I thought, that was my immediate thought. Yeah. How they do it, and I think those are almost obvious, easy answers. But it's—it's it's a good thing to think about. Yeah. You're also talking about parent. Uh, their the uh, teachers given the responsibility of kind of that emotional support and even in some cases their needs, and yet we've stripped them of any. Uh, ability to discipline mm. and like how do you do that like you're expected to emotionally support this kid but you can't discipline them short of saying calling the parent and their parents saying well you got to fix that you're the teacher right <laughs> like mm -hmm. oh, no uh I've, I've seen that in my daughter's when she was in middle school she did homeschool this last year she might go back to high school this fall but we basically pulled her out of the middle school because they're wasn't the ability we we could see there wasn't the ability on the teachers and even principal side 
to do the discipline that we that we felt we needed to see to be able to trust them mm-hmm. to educate our child because there was other children in in the environment that were talking about death threat type stuff mm-hmm. and it's like what are you going to do about it well we've called the parents and it's like okay that's it that's all we got you know and I, I, i'm not trying to cut them short or whatever i don't know what all goes Sure. On behind the scenes, I just know that the ability to discipline has been shrinking every, you know, decade, while the expectations of what we want from them to accomplish has been increasing. Mm. Well, that's a that's a that's a culture wide um, reaction against authority. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's just in the school system. Mm-hmm. We see yeah. it across the board. Yeah. Like, authority is not authority. Mm. We don't have a respect for authority, and then even within the the school district, um, the, the child is right. Like the parent is going to back his child, Mm. whether they're right or wrong. That's what I was going to say. I feel like now, not only is that the way the kids feel, but that's also the way the parents feel. Like the parent comes into the situation, not giving the educator the benefit of the doubt, but Mm -hmm. coming in saying, how dare you do this to my perfect child who (laughs) never does anything wrong ever. And this is your problem and you will not you you know and and again the educator's hands are tied and so it it's really tricky isn't it mm-hmm. and so you're we, unfortunately we are losing many 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 fabulous educators out of public education yeah because why would you do it yeah it's you... emotionally exhausting every day to walk into that situation and never know you're going to be supported never know that the decision you know that your education your experience is not enough and that you're going to be questioned, uh, it's it's not worth it. Yeah. Because uh, I've I've been there. I've I've come out of public education, and to put your family right, Mark, to put your family mm-hmm. through the stress of coming home every day with all of that, because your brain never shuts off. Mm-hmm. The students are always in the back of your mind. Your lesson, and then we're not even talking about lesson planning. Like every day, right. you you've got to have a full lesson ready to go. I mean. When do you do that? Before you walk into the Before room. Before you walk in the door. And it has to be and quality. after you walk out of the room. <laughs> and then you walk out with papers to grade and, you know, professional development that you need to finish for the district. And the job never ends. And so yeah. there's also, there's probably like six jobs within a teacher's job. But you're willing to have, you have to perform all of them. So kudos to the public educators yes. because it is not easy. And I think it's more getting more and more difficult. Yep. Yeah. Chewy. <laughs> Justin's tired just thinking about it. Yeah, I'm yeah. worn out. Emotionally worn out <laughs> by hearing about their emotional uh, yeah, struggles. Well, cool. Any other thoughts you guys have about early yeah. education? Mm. I think we covered it all. We did, we, we did it. I'm going to give you another um, show notes. Oh, Link. great. Um, yeah. There's a great teacher, Tim Elmore. We used him at um, some parent educating mm-hmm. um, events that we had at Generations Church. Excellent teaching. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily Christian teaching. It's like generational. This is what this generation is dealing with. As parents, this mm-hmm. is the best way to you know, work with your, mm-hmm. your Gen Xer or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. He's just a, has a lot of great resources. Awesome. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah, we're going to have a bunch of good resources in the show notes. We'll include a list of some of our favorite books, all four of us. I think that'd be fun. We'll also include a link to the reading list thing that Kelly mentioned earlier. 
What was it called? It's a book. Um, it's Honey for a Child's Heart. Honey for a Child's Heart. There you yeah. go. Mm-hmm. How and can you forget that? Come I on, know. a title like that, you just can't forget <laughs> it. It really Who sticks. doesn't want a honey for ch- Yeah, it sticks, yes. <laughs> Who doesn't want a honey well, for a child's heart? Clearly it didn't stick. Uh, and then Tim Elmore, whatever that link is, I'd mm-hmm. love to include that. And um, yeah, and, and then you were also mentioning there are reading tools to yes. figure out how yeah, to assess your child. Be yeah, that'd be great to link. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff we'll have for people. Yeah. yeah, I think the big idea is parents, you have power, you have influence, you mm-hmm. have control, um, and you're your child's it. best teacher. Absolutely. Always. Mm-hmm. No matter where they are or what they're doing with their education, mm-hmm. you yes. you are the best one Embrace it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, tangent, or not really, but just think about even my kids in school and like the stuff they go through or... You're right. Like they bring home questions, they bring home stuff, drama with kids or whatever, and it, like I could say, "What's going on? I shouldn't have to deal with this because it, you know, the school is supposed to be mm-hmm. figuring out how to educate my ch- children and make sure they have good social interactions and all that." But no, I feel like we, <laughs> me at homeschooled this year, we had to do way less mm-hmm. educating mia this year mm-hmm. because she did homeschool and she did she did the curriculum as liberty online she handled that almost didn't need a thing from us where the previous year was like we were helping not just with homework and kind of that stuff but like a lot of just mental stuff right mm-hmm. like these kids are this is happening or the, the teacher is talking to us like this or and and i'm not saying i'm not complaining i'm saying what you said kelly which is we still have to be part of their life. We still have mm-hmm. to educate in even, no matter what education system they're in, it is our role to, to educate them. And then I was just thinking about books earlier. You're talking about certain books will have certain concepts in them. And I was, I was thinking about like some books even have attitudinal problems, right? Like it's, yes. there's nothing wrong with the material, but like that's not how I want my kids to think it's okay to talk to yes. adults, for yep. instance. Yep. Mm-hmm. But like, we have to continue to educate them so that they know when they come across those types of materials or yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. that they come back to us and say, hey, what about this? Or they know, like, oh, yeah, kids aren't supposed to talk to their parents like that. This kid is rude. And they know that reading the material on their own, in their room or whatever. Because we have to continue to educate and continue to be involved and be proactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, Justin, I know you're Stevie Stephen Covey, right? Yeah. You're a fan. So, beginning with the end in mind. Yeah. I'm thinking about Mia's situation. What do you want her to be like as an adult? Right. Mm. Like, do you want her to be able to process all of these difficult situations? Um, as helicopter parents, sometimes um, there's this this feel that we don't we want to make everything perfect, yeah. mm. and we want to get all the the failure out of their life. We want to make sure that mm. and they have the best influences. Mm. We want to make sure that, you know, everything is just right. Mm. But if you fast forward 10 or 15 years, is that what you really want mm-hmm. for your child who right. is now an adult? You want them to be able to process those things. You want them to know failure and that they, it's, it's just a little bump in the road. It's not like the end of the Scared. world, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, there were times in, in our, my children's experience that I wanted to make sure they got the right teacher. Mm. I wanted to control it. Yeah, mm. And so I had to step back. There were moments I stepped back and said, hey, God, I'm just going to let you choose. And the teacher was not the teacher I would have chosen. 
But what did they learn that year? Other than the content of the classroom, right. they learned a whole lot more than I could have orchestrated. Yeah. And so I feel like there's a, we could go into hel helicopter parenting. That could yeah. be a whole other episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's another. That's so good. Yeah. Ten years from now, 15 years, what do you want your child? What kind of adult do you want them to be? Yeah. And are you preparing them well for that? That's good. That'll preach. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love it, Chris. Yeah. I love it. And I'm, and as I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, even our journey with Chris, that kind of thing, um, I was, I was mindful again of how, you know, God is in that process and, you know, and yes, there will be fears and yet, you know, there is this opportunity to, to go forward, to be strong, courageous, to make the choices you need to make for your family. And it may not be the cookie cutter dynamic that fits for, you know, the other people in your social group. You may be that out. You may be that parent, yep. you know, that we all think about. It's like, oh, well, you know, the brats, <laughs> they're a little sketchy, you know, or not, and that, but still, you know, being able to do what you feel led to do as your child's parent. I think that's, you know, that, that, and, and as Chris was saying, and I think it was more so early on, you know, being able to build the foundation that our kids needed because I, and I'll admit, I think, um, as a Christian, I was a jerk sometimes cause I thought, you know, here's this public educator, you know, and they're trying to indoctrinate my child. And so I didn't handle that well at certain times, certain junctures when we'd come, you know, evolutionary versus creation, you know, type dynamics as we've just, you know, podcast. But I also recognized too, it was a learning for me to be able to recognize there is a curriculum that sometimes teachers have to teach according to, you know, and it's not that they can't add to it, but yet if they add, it just lengthens the school year. You know, and they have so much that they have to teach that they can't necessarily add everything else. And it, it, for me, it was a learning to be able to say, okay, ultimately, my child needs to learn how to process these difficult dynamics. And like you were saying, we bring it home and we're able to talk about it and say, well, this is how I see it based on my perspective. And, and when, what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says about this. Yeah. What do you think? Mm -hmm. You know. And teaching them how to think, not yeah, what yes. to think. How to think. Because it's easy to just say, this is what you think. Like, this is what you're supposed to think. But they need to know how. Like, mm -hmm. how do I take in information that might not mm -hmm. align with what I believe? Mm -hmm. How do I take that in and process it and then come out the other end, mm -hmm. like, with better understanding, like, and everything like how do you how do you think how do you grow like yeah. that's how they're and, gonna grow and that's the antithesis to helicopter parenting i think is because i mean it really is i mean but but you have to teach them that because mm -hmm. no matter how helicoptery you are stuff will leak into their vision right <laughs> that mm -hmm. you don't think they're seeing or experiencing mm -hmm. and they have to know how to think about that and sometimes sure. how to think about that is I don't know what to think about that. And they come to you and you want to teach them. That's okay. a valuable practice, right? Like, yep. And I don't have all the answers either, but we can have a conversation, right? Yeah. But to think that you can protect them, you can put them in a bubble and keep them from all the things you don't want them to experience mm -hmm. is unrealistic. You cannot prevent all. So you have to teach them to think, like how to think and how to process those things mm -hmm. and tell them, warn them like you're going to experience things I don't think that you should experience and I won't know you are but I want to, you, you to come back to me and have those conversations 
and don't just depend on your perfect parenting and your perfect bubble and your perfect Christian school mm-hmm. and your per- and I'm I'm talking about my own parents and my own upbringing. It's like you thought you protected us from all this stuff and yet stuff still leaks in because mm-hmm. we're in the world, right? Like mm-hmm. it's part of our life. You can't, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so many good thoughts. Yes. Any any closing thoughts, ladies? No, just thank you for this opportunity. It's been a good conversation. It's been our pleasure. Agreed. Yeah. I think it's been a great insight into how we see it. This is how we see it. Hey, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like how I see it, please do all the things that podcasts tell you to do. Subscribe, rate, review, Follow us uh, and or talk nicely about us on social media. If you want to reach out, the email is us at howiseeit.click. Yep, I said dot click, as in dot C-L-I-C-K. Please tell your friends about this show and we'll see you on the next one.